Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to transform the world within you and transform the world around you. I'm excited to share this message with you today. I pray the Lord ministers to you as you listen. Can I just say, I, let's, let, me just, let me just add this. Oh, no. He's a, he's, as we can see, he's a big 49ers fan. So I'm not saying this morning's message is going to be fast, but... But it ain't going to be long, I'll tell you that much <laughs> right now. So They don't play till 3.30. Well, hi. hi. So glad you're here. Yes, 49ers, go 49ers. I just want to point out there's always wheat among the chaff. Chaff among the wheat. And Bob Jones had a word that, you know, people keep repeating. And when the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl, it'll start a new era. And they've won three times since then. So we're in a new era. We're in the Holy Ghost second half. 49ers. Go 49ers. I better go. I didn't get left with much time. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to Bless this time in Jesus' name. We pray, God, for the 49ers. And Lord, for the Chiefs fans that will be weeping and gnashing your teeth. And Lord, we pray that you anoint the speaker now. <laughs> Amen. Um, I, I, uh, I, I, I'm going to share some of what I've shared before. I feel like I'm, the Lord's really given me a word to carry and so and I'm aware that a third of our people are not here every week I don't know where you are but wherever you are we'll help you by repeating some of what we shared last time and um, I had this prophetic word that the Lord gave me you know I want to just point out that the Lord speaks to us in ways that we can understand I think if the Lord you know it came the first time to Silicon Valley that he would speak much differently than he spoke in the first century uh, and using agricultural kind of illustrations. Because the challenge with some of the New Testament is that it's written in, a, in an agricultural age that we, that we don't live in. And so often we're having to explain the meaning of the, we're, we're having to explain the, the actual metaphor of the parable before we can explain the parable and so, and I, I think that the Lord is so good to speak to us in our language. And I, you know, I was uh, in the automotive repair business, Kathy and I, for so many years, and then also in business. So I find that the Lord often speaks to me in business kind of terms and talks to me about in metaphors of repairing cars. And it just, it's personal to me and to him. And I also love sports and I love football. I'm talking about real football, American football. <laughs> I'm offending your heart, I'm offending your mind to reveal your heart, so. I love football because it has, uh, American football, because it has so much strategy. I love basketball and other sports, but I especially love football. And so um, I feel like the Lord uses those kind of metaphors for me. And so in, you know, in the end of December, I had this prophetic word. I actually shared it twice already in different, in, in different formats, where the Lord said to me that, I, I said, Lord, I, I'm... I want to ask you to give me a word for, the, for this next season, for this next year. 
And the Lord said to me, I'm not giving you a word for 2024. I'm giving you the word, giving you a word for a new era because I'm opening up a new era. And he said to me that January will be halftime, which we've just passed out of halftime. He said, January will be halftime. And he, he began to talk to me in terms that I understand. He said, halftime in, in football is not just a time to rest, but it's a time of reflection. When the players and the coaches look over the film from the first half and they begin to make adjustments. He said to me, often coaches and players are, they're actually evaluated on how, how and on the halftime adjustments they make to win so they can win in the next half. And he had said to me, many teams lose, are losing at, at halftime, but they win the game because they make adjustments. And that, that was like a metaphor I understand. I'm like, okay, we're in halftime. And I actually shared that with a whole bunch of our congregation. And then two weeks later, the 49ers played the Lions. And they were down 24 to 7 at halftime. It was on Sunday, and I was preaching that night. And I was like, oh, I can't bear to watch this game. So I turned it off, and I said to myself, it's just a game. You know, it's always just a game when your team's losing. <laughs> but when your team's winning, it's not just a game. This is life. This is a prophetic declaration. <laughs> so they were down at halftime, 24 to 7. They were getting slaughtered. They couldn't do anything right. And so I turned it off, and I was getting ready. I was preaching that night. And then uh, about half an hour, uh, 45 minutes later, I said, well, I'm just going to look at my phone and just see what the score is. And I opened up my phone, and it was 24-24. And I'm like, i got to call Leslie and tell her I'm going to be a little late. <laughs> I have a job here. I have to get intercede. And, <laughs> you know, there's the natural and there's the spiritual. And I, I couldn't do the natural preach. I had to do the spiritual intercession part. And the 49ers won 34-31. And I was like, oh. And then I remembered, like, I was just watching the game, wasn't paying attention to any prophetic thing. And I'm like, whoa, the Lord spoke to me two weeks ago and actually told me, and I actually said to the church, like, halftime is when you reevaluate if you're losing, and often you win at the end. And I'm like, the Lord used my team to, to actually prophetic declaration. And then what was really funny is at the end, I came back that night after preaching, and I was watching the interviews, and there was the craziest play of the game for the 49ers was that it was like two half minute and a half left in the game. They were down and they, he, he threw a pass. Uh, our, our, uh, our quarterback threw a pass. He's like a radical believer, by the way. He's not even a Christian. He's like a reformer. Every time they interview him, he's like, this is just football. I live for Jesus Christ. This is... How are you so calm? Oh, the peace of God surpasses all understanding. I'm in the huddle, just enjoying the peace of God. I'm like, yeah, this is so good. So he throws a pass to this guy named Brandon, and it, it hits the defender's helmet and fumbles to the, to the ground. Before it gets to the ground, he catches the ball like on a, I don't know, like three-yard line. And so afterwards, then they, they go in for a touchdown, they win. After the game's over, they're, they're interviewing Brandon, and they said, man, that was a great catch. You know, did you have any sense that you were going to make a great, a great play? He goes, yeah, I did. And he, I, I do. I, I, I knew I would. And they said, how, how did you know that? He said, well, the, he said, a, a, a ladybug landed on my shoe right before, the, you know, like right before the play. And I said to myself, something good's going to happen. And I'm watching this. And I'm like, now, now we've had a halftime. Now we've won after Chris Valentin gave a prophetic word. 
I'm like, this is good. I can't get, wait to get to Sunday and say, see, I told you so. But it was Bill's turn to preach. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get. And, and then the but, now so for most of you, now remember I said, this won't be meaningful for most people, but the Lord speaks to you in language you understand. Benny Johnson had an encounter with the Lord back in Weaverville where the Lord showed her for herself whenever she saw a ladybug, it was a sign that the Lord was moving in her. So we gave her ladybugs for birthday, ladybugs for Christmas. I think she has a whole thing of ladybugs. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Brandon Ayuk had a ladybug land on his foot. I'm like, Benny Johnson's praying for the 49ers while we're... I, I don't know if that second part was true, but... But it was just so... Have you ever had the Lord just talk to you like in your language? I got to give you this little quick story. I can do it in two minutes and it has nothing to do with the message, but it's that it's the Lord speaks to you in your language. I I have this knife right here. Everyone from Weaverville has a knife. Uh, So if you want to do anything to us, you're probably not going to get shot, but you're sorry. That was Bill's got a knife. Come on, Bill. Kathy bought me this knife for Christmas. It's a very expensive knife and it's something you'd usually put in a showcase, but I carry it every day. And so about four weeks ago, I was cutting up some cardboard, and, uh, and then I got back to my house, and I couldn't find it. Anyway, it was gone for like four weeks. I couldn't find it. And, I, and so I went over to Jay's house, and, and we were having dinner there, and he pulled out his knife. He was cutting meat with his knife. I said, oh, man, I lost my knife. Dad, you lost that expensive knife Mom bought you for Christmas? I'm like, yeah. And so we both kind of, ugh. I said, well, I'm going to do what Bobby Connors said. I'm going I'm to say I want my knife back. So at dinner time, I said, I want my knife back, and we both chuckled. The next morning, three o'clock in the morning, I'm going to fly to DC and I open my closet door and my knife's in my boot that I wore four times since I lost it. Wow. Sitting up like this in my boot. I woke Kathy up. I was so excited. Three o'clock in the morning. She's like, what's going on? I got my knife back after I proclaimed it. It's just a little like, kiss from the Lord. <laughs> what's that mean for all the people who are watching? Oh gosh, yes, we're streaming. Okay. <laughs> um, let's just move on. I, I want to take you back to July 30th. July 30th, 2023, 3 o'clock in the morning, I have a dream. I've shared this with you before. I want to put all this together because I've been having a series of encounters. And listen, uh, I don't want to exaggerate. Paul talked about, he warned us about exaggerating your dreams, exaggerating your encounters. When I say an encounter, I'm not talking about some of the encounters like Haley had an encounter where she was on the floor for hours and for, uh, you know, for like 40 days she shook. I'm not talking about that kind of encounter, which I love and it's amazing, but I'm talking about the kind of encounter where you wake up and the Lord's talking to you. It wasn't wasn't like an open vision. I didn't see angels. There was no music. Just the Lord started talking to me. And I actually have been having these for about three years from about COVID, uh, about a half year into COVID, six months into COVID, on, and I noticed that the frequency is increasing dramatically. And I didn't realize it till real recently, like a week ago, that the, the, the encounters I started having three years ago to now, they, put, they flow together like a book. And so I've been like putting together, oh, this is where we're going, this is what we're doing. And so on, on, the, on July 30th, I had a dream. And in the dream, I saw myself with a trumpet to my mouth blowing this trumpet. And it was one of those dreams where you wake up and you have to tell yourself it was a dream. You know, have you ever had those dreams? Where you wake, 
Well, Twin View, everyone was like, yes. Here, a little less. And I, I woke up, and it was one of those dreams where it was sweats pouring off my head, and I'm like, oh, gosh, what was that about? And I, I kind of scooted up against the headboard, and I was just like, Lord, what was that? And he, and he said to me, the kings are coming. The kings are coming. Blow the trumpet. The kings are coming. And I'm like, what? He said, I'm sending reinforcements. The kings are coming. And I began to envision these kings that were coming, and they were business people and attorneys and doctors and intercessors and politicians and scientists and technologists and fathers and mothers and revivalists. You get the idea. When I saw kings coming, I expected them to be crowned kings, but they were like these people who had all kinds of different occupations. And the Lord's like, I'm sending reinforcements. Call for the kings. And I don't know if you remember, but I actually preached that around July or August that the kings are coming. And I began to see that the Lord was Isaiah 60, verse 11. That he said, the gate, your gates will be open continually. They'll not be closed day or night. That the wealth of nations would come to you and kings will be led by the procession. First of all, I thought the kings would lead the procession, but it says the kings actually see the procession and they're like, let's go. Let's go to where, where God's at, right? And so I, I believe that the Lord is opening a whole new era, a whole new era. Well, we were in the senior leadership meeting, which is about 20 of us, 22 of us, on uh, Tuesday at my house, half day, and we meet, uh, we do this about once a month. So we're at half day, and we were having this, we often talk about real practical stuff, we we're having a conversation about what the Lord was saying. And so I was sharing the halftime word, and people were you know, interacting with that, and this is what the Lord showed me, this is what the Lord showed me, and we, it got really uh, beautifully intense. And, and I stood up and I said, I think we're supposed to just like blow a trumpet. Why don't we just blow a trumpet and open up an era? Like as a prophetic act. And so we all stood up and we're like, and then I said, let's not tell anybody, but I do think I just told everybody. And we were, you know, we were like totally into it. And then we all laughed because it was so funny, you know, that we were, we felt that the Lord was opening up an era and that as a prophetic act, we were to like, you know, Mimic blowing a trumpet. Well, um, the week came uh, and, and gone, and Friday, I was in uh, Emily's, my, my um, chief of staff, and I, I said, Emily, do you think you could get me a trumpet player for Sunday? She's like, yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> I don't know. I just have this idea. I don't know if we can do this. And she said, well, I'll try. So Saturday, she texted me. She said, hey, I found this really great trumpet player. He can be there on Sunday. Oh, okay. You still want him? I'm like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and so she said, okay, well, I'll have him there. So this morning, I get up at five. Now, you guys know, I'm not usually a big, like, illustration kind of guy, PowerPoint. So I woke up this morning, and I'm like, I'm trying to picture. I get in the bathtub, which is where the Lord meets me most of the time forever and I'm laying there and it's five in the morning and I'm trying to picture what it looks like to blow a trumpet in the middle of your message and have people not think you're crazy so I'm like Lord should I do this oh, I already committed to it and while I'm in the tub it's five it's literally 505 and I get a text message in my bathtub at five o'clock in the morning and it's from a young man his name's Chris Gall and he lives in the UK, and he's a former student. I hear from Chris, like, I don't think I've heard from him for three years, unless it was like Merry Christmas. Like, we don't talk. 
I don't think I've seen him in years. And he texts me pictures of Joel 2. Joel 2 begins with, blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. I'm like, what the heck? And I, I'm reading that. It's five in the morning. Just, I'm, I'm literally like, this is before the Lord. I'm laying in the bathtub thinking, should I do this? What's it going to look like? Who, who else is going to think I'm crazy? Am I going to add to the list of he's nuts? And he texts me pictures of, you know, he takes a picture of each uh, passage and sends me six photographs of the scripture. And I text him and I said, what would possess you to write to me this what would motivate you? He said, I've been reading Joel 2 all week. And he said, I, I, I've been going to bed, crying myself to sleep, reading Joel 2. And, this, and last night, I guess it would be our morning would be their night, I guess. And he said, the Lord said to me, you need to text this to him right now. Wow. And then he said, I'm sorry to text you at five o'clock in the morning. I'm like, you kidding me? Don't ever do it again. <laughs> but thankfully you did it this morning. So I, I'm like, the Lord, oh man, do you like this? Like 49ers win after halftime. Guy has a, I don't know if you're getting this. Guy has a ladybug on his foot who wins the game. I mean, what the heck? Guy calls me when I'm thinking about blowing a trumpet. I just told my, my secretary, get, get me a trumpet blower. Then I'm like, should I be doing this? And someone writes, um, texts me at five o'clock in the morning, blow a trumpet in Zion. I'm like, I, I should do this. So I want to, okay. Honestly, if you get up, all these things happen and not do this, you ain't even a Christian. <laughs> so then I read Joel 2. And by the way, Joel 2 wasn't in my text for this morning. I I'd prepared the whole text on Saturday. I didn't even notice that Joel 2 started with blow trumpet. And so I, I read Joel 2, 2, and I notice that Joel 2 is broken up into two, uh, two uh, I'll say, um, seasons or two eras. Joel 2 begins with the first trumpet. He blows the first trumpet, and he enacts an era of judgment. I'm going to read you several of the passages, so you'll see. And halfway, did you get that? Halfway? Halfway through the book of, book of Joel, he blows the second trumpet that enacts an era of restoration. So I, I, I want to read you this, and then we're going to like blow a trumpet. I'll read you some of the, I don't know if I'll read the whole thing because I have a limited amount of time, but I'll read you enough that you get the idea of what the first trumpet is about, okay? Joel 2, 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people they have never seen anything like this, nor will there ever, nor will there be again after it for years of many generations. A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but, desolate, but a desolate wilderness behind them. Nothing at all escapes them. And it goes on for passage, uh, verse after verse like that. Just judgment, doom, terrible I'll read you it. The day of the Lord is indeed great and awesome. Can you endure it? 
Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, and rent your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord. And there's this, it's this, it's this judgment. Remember, we're talking Old Testament here. It's this judgment and call for repentance. The whole first half. It gets to verse 15, and it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children, even the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priests of the Lord minister. Weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare your people, O Lord. Do not... And do not make your inheritance a reproach or a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the people, where's their God? Then the Lord will be zealous for his land. And he will have pity on his people. And the Lord will answer and say, behold, I'm going to send you grain and new wine and oil. And I will satisfy you in full. And I will never again make you a reproach among the nations. It goes on like that. Verse 23. Rejoice, O sons of Zion. Be glad in the Lord. For he has given you the early rain for vindication. He's poured down your rain and the early and latter rain as before. The threshing floors will be full of grain and your vats will overflow with new wine. It goes on like that. And it says like this, it says this, I will make, I will make up for the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the, the creeping locusts, the stripping locusts, gnawing locusts. And he goes on to say, and goes on like that. And it goes like this, verse 28, I will, it will come about after this that I'll pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on your male and female servants, I'll pour out my spirit. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, uh, fire, vapor, smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. The moon turned to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it'll come about that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't it crazy that the second trumpet enacts the blessing, that the second trumpet begins an era of restoration? And I believe that God is opening up an era. Remember, I asked the Lord, Lord, give me a word for the next year. He said, I'm not giving you a word for, for the year. I'm giving you a word for an era. I believe the Lord is opening an era and he's closing the Joel 1 era, and he's opening the Joel 2 era. Can I say that? And, I, and in, uh, in Psalms chapter 110, verse 3, he writes this. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array, from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. In holy array, in the womb of the dawn, your youth will be to you as the dew. This is another dream. I've been having this reoccurring dream of Psalms 110. The womb of the dawn. I wake up hearing the shouting in my spirit. The womb of the dawn. The womb of the dawn. And I begin to realize that the dawn is a womb that's giving birth to a new day. The dawn. Are you with me? The dawn is, the, is, the, is a womb that's giving birth to a new day. And it says that the youth will be to you as the dew. And I'm like, dew? What does that have to do with the womb of the dawn? And I looked up the, 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 the meaning of dew and what dew does to plants. And it says this, that in dry climates, plants at nighttime, they close up to try to contain their moisture. 
But what happens in the morning is dew falls on the plant's leaves and on the, on the plant's, on the vegetation. And the plants, because there's dew, they open to receive the moisture from the dew. And when they do, when they do, when they do the dew, well, this isn't going well. When they open, they receive sunlight, which creates a photosynthesis, which is in plants, it's sunlight that's turned to biological energy that actually gives them strength to grow. And he says, in the womb of the dawn, your youth will be like the dew. They will be like the dew that rests on the dry plants that causes them to open for the sunlight to work on them for energy for the reformation and revival. Are you with me? The Lord's like, the youth are going to be like dew. They're going to open up the season. People are going to hear the sunlight from the youth and they're going to open their leaves to the season and the sunlight's going to create a photosynthesis in which the sunlight becomes the energy for this new reformation, for this new era. Whew. This is a great word. Okay, Daniel, come. I don't know what this means, but the Lord will probably say, I'll probably have some other part of a message in next time I preach, but his name's Daniel. He's gonna blow the trumpet in a minute. I didn't know his name was Daniel till this morning. And somebody gave me, can show that thing right there. Somebody gave me this purple box. And in first service, he handed me this and said, I'm supposed to give you this gift. And it's a little cross and it's made by Daniel. Thought that was beautiful. I don't know what it means, but I'm like, I'll take it. Book of Daniel next week, I guess. Okay, well, I want you to all stand. Now, you guys know what a prophetic act is, right? So a prophetic act is not just a symbolic act. A prophetic act releases power to open up an era. Are you with me? So when he blows the trumpet, we're going to do this like two or three times. When he blows the trumpet, we're going to shout, <laughs> the king is coming. And then I'm going to shout, the kings are coming. Are you with me? You can say queens too, I don't care. But let's just shout it loudly. Are you with me? Like, let's not do like little mousy, like, oh, the kings are coming. I mean, shout it like you are opening up the era, like the walls of Jericho are falling down. Okay, just give me a minute. I got to talk to the online, our online church. Okay, online church, you got to do the same. Okay, so if somebody's sleeping in your house, you might want to go outside, okay, or pull over if you're driving, because we don't want you to like, you know, stop traffic. Maybe you should. Okay, you think about that yourself. Okay, so you ready, Daniel? All right, here we go. Then we're going to say, the king is coming, and then we're going to shout, the kings are coming, okay? Ready? Go. The king is coming. The Let's do it again. Ready? One more time. The king is coming. The kings are coming. Let's give it up. Come on. I'm great. Oh, really good. You're 
You can sit down. <laughs> Bro, you're just a little late, but that's good. That's, I love your zeal. I want to tell you a story because it's related to a concern I have. Are you with me? There's a story that I read just recently, a guy who played violin in a subway with a handful of people stopped to listen. And a couple of them even clapped. And the violinist managed to raise $30 in tips that day. What no one apparently realized was that the violinist was Josh Bell, one of the greatest musicians of our time. In the subway, Joshua played one of the most intricate pieces ever written with a violin worth $3.5 million. In fact, just two days earlier, Joshua Bell sold out the theater in Boston and the seats averaged $100. And here's my point. It's so easy to miss an extraordinary moment when it takes place in the ordinary busyness of everyday life. And I'm deeply concerned that while we're here and the violin is playing here, with all people gathered and the intensity of worship that we just participated in and, and the great preaching. <laughs> funny. Try not to cry. I thought if I make a joke, I won't cry. And I'm concerned that the opening of an era isn't about a service. It's about taking what you've heard here, taking what I've heard here and going home and, and, and I'm just going to say, like the Lord is playing the violin at your house where your kids are crying, where you're making dinner, while your husband is hungry, while, you're, while he comes home and the, 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 he's playing a 3.5 million, are you with me? Violin, million dollar violin, but it's happening in the ordinary. And I'm like, are you going to hear the extraordinary when you leave this place? Are you going to take what you have with you? Are you going to take what you're, the inspiration that's happened here after we all shouted and you take it into the dark place and you begin to hear the violin in the midst of the ordinary? I'm, I'm concerned that the, that the extraordinary will get lost in the ordinary because the sense of emotion is gone, but the era hasn't fully opened. And I'm saying, I believe that God wants to open an era and I believe that he's given us some exhortation. You know what exhortation is? Exhortation, at least in this setting, is when there's things that you have to do to fully embrace the opening. And I want to give you three things, and I'll do them quickly because we just have about eight, nine minutes. Three things that I believe that we're supposed to do at halftime. Remember, we're looking at the film. Number one, we have to have an honest assessment of how the game is going. I'll give you Nehemiah chapter two. I'm not going to read a bunch of it to you because of time. Nehemiah, he, he, he surveys the wall of Jerusalem, the walls and the gates, and he writes down that everything, everything that's wrong. It's very difficult for us to stop long enough to look at what's wrong in our life and still have joy. But I want to propose that we're in an era where the Lord has talked to us about stopping and surveying. And when he is on it, it doesn't feel like negative. It feels like I'm coming to the walls that are broken. I'm coming to the circumstances of my life that have never worked. 
or maybe you haven't worked for a long time, but I'm coming on assignment from the Lord and I'm speaking to those walls and I'm looking at them by faith. James 1 said, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. I want to point out, I've memorized that chapter and I've never tried to memorize it. I've memorized a chapter because I've been through so many trials. <laughs> consider it all joy when you encounter various trials knowing the testing of your... Oh, you've been through them too. <laughs> knowing that the testing... How many of you know trials first test your faith? And then he goes on to say, testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result. You may be found complete, lacking in nothing. Here's the next verse that's been rallying around in my brain for two weeks. If any man lacks wisdom, speaking of trials, let him ask God, who gives to all without reproach. But let him ask without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let that man not think he'll receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded, unstable in all his ways. I'm pointing out that when I look at the walls, I have to come to this trial by faith. And I've been asking the Lord, Lord, what does it mean to, have, to ask for wisdom by faith? I know what it means to ask, ask for healing by faith. I'm like, I begin to imagine that you're going to heal this person in a wheelchair. I begin to imagine it in my mind. I begin to see it. Then I begin to call for what I see in my mind over this person. But what does it mean to call for wisdom by faith. And I've been saying to the Lord, I woke up in the middle of the night last night saying, Lord, I have so many problems. You know why? Because I have all you people. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't have problems. That's because you don't have enough friends. <laughs> Lord, I need wisdom. Number two. Number two. What is point number two? Number two. I have to have an accurate assessment of my own participation in the process of both success and failure. Let me say it again. I have to have an accurate assessment of my own participation in the process of success and failure. I'll give you a scripture. Romans 12, three says, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted each a measure of faith. You, we have to have the courage to have an accurate assessment of how we have participated in both success and failure. And I'm not talking about like, you know, you see something you've done wrong, you're like, oh, poor me, or someone points it out to you. Uh, the, the other night, this is uh, February 1st, so a few days ago, I woke up in the middle of the night, and, I, and the Lord said to me, I want you to write down your biggest failures in leadership. I'm like, all right. And, and so I, I, I got out my, my phone to uh, where the notes are, and immediately, five of them came to my mind. Three of them I haven't thought of in 20 years. They were before I came to Bethel, and one of them was when I was 18 years old. And so I wrote them down, and I'm sure there was, I'm sure there was many more, but five came right to my mind. I wrote them down. From the time I was 18 till now I'm 69 years old, I wrote, wrote down the greatest failures I could think of in my leadership. Things I've done wrong. And I can tell you, it wasn't like, oh, poor me, I'm so bad. And the Lord said, tell me if any of these are connected. Like, do they have anything in common? And, I, and at first I said, nah, what I did in my early days have nothing to do with what I do now. Then I looked at him, and the Lord's like, look again. And I'm like, I'm doing the same freaking things wrong now that I did when I was 18. Like, I'm making some of the same, not all of them. I have improved dramatically. But I'm like, some of the mistakes that I've made recently, I made the first year I was leading. 
And then the Lord said, ask me for wisdom to change. I, I want to challenge you to look at the process of failure in your life through the lens of Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about, you know, sometimes you tell people like, hey, here's what you need to change. Oh, okay, I'm always wrong. I'm just always wrong. You know, listen, when you do that, that just sucks. Nobody wants to talk to you when you're like, wah, wah, send the wham. Nobody wants to talk to you when you can't. You're not big enough to look at the fact that you're not a perfect human being and that you could dramatically improve and so can I. And the last thing is this. The last thing is, have a spirit-led plan to achieve a different outcome. And I'd like to say, read Joshua chapter one. Moses, my servant, is dead. As I was with Moses, God says to Joshua, I'm gonna be with you. I'm sure Joshua's like, well, he failed. Thank you. And then the Lord begins to outline a plan for his success. Listen, I'm gonna be with you wherever you go. I don't want you to be, I don't want you to be fearful. I don't want you to be dismayed. I want you to be strong and courageous. I want you to meditate on my word day and night. Verse eight, I want you to meditate on my word. I want you to think about my word. I want you to talk about my word and I want you to do my word and you're gonna have success. Where Moses failed, you're gonna have, listen, you are part two of this game. You are the second half, Joshua, and you are gonna give people possession of this land, which I promised them. And I believe that if we will, one, evaluate the situations that we're in that are failing, two, ask ourselves the honest question, am I participating in the failure? Is it partly because of something I, I've done or something I haven't done that is perpetuating the issues we have? And the third one is, can I build a Holy Spirit plan to make a difference? Would you stand, please? Okay, just put your hands out like this. And you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna pray for wisdom. Listen, by faith, we're gonna pray for wisdom. We're not gonna be the double-minded woman, man, who's shifted with the seas. We are here this morning to say we hear the violin, we value the violinist. We understand that we're in a Kairos moment. Lord, give us wisdom. I pray that right now for each one of you. Can you just say out loud, Lord, Give me, Give me wisdom for this new era. This new era. In, Jesus name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. To stay connected, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at chrisvalentin.com forward slash subscribe. God bless you.